and welcome to DNI Spy. I'm Natasha Whitehurst. And I'm Dr. G. Humphreys. And this is our season three wrap up. Welcome. Welcome to everybody. So, in these wrap ups, you will now know that uh, we do a, a sort of a quick roundup of all of the episodes during the season. Um, and we give you a flavor of what we talked about, uh, talk about their top tip, and also just give you an idea of uh, what they sounded like and share a clip with you. So uh, we're going to kick straight off. And first of all, let's look at Alison Phillips' um, edition, edition, episode. Hopefully by the end of this um, this episode, this wrap-up, Dr. Julie will also be like a 10 out of 10 happier. <laughs> Unfortunately on the pod, you, wait, you can't actually see her face, but she looks very grumps today. I've got a copper spaniel who keeps bashing me, wants to go for a walk. So, anyhow. Uh, right, Alison Phillips. Um, I found that to be a really great season opener. Um, as you know, she was the first, well, she is the first women uh, woman. Oh, I can't speak today, sorry. She's the first woman editor of The Mirror in over 100 years. Uh, she's also the chair of the Women in Journalism Organization, um, and they worked together to produce some original research into online harassment that women uh, receive. So we talked about that uh, research um, and really she talked about it in terms of there's, an, there's a sense of trying to silence journalists, which I thought was fascinating. And she talked not only about women, but also it affected people of color, disabled people, people from the LGBT community, um, that all of these people actually, in her words, without doubt, coming under attack just for doing their jobs. Were you surprised when a quarter of the participants said that they'd experienced some kind of sexual harassment or sexual violence? Tragically, no, because I think we all know that when um, people want to silence women, quite often they will resort to threats of sexual violence to do that. It's this, It's been there since time began. It's a really... Um, I guess easy method, and it because it's terrifying for the victim, and it's it's we always know that threats to sexual violence is always about power. That's what it is, and what what all of this is about is people trying to use power to silence women journalists and to silence the stories that they're trying to tell as well. So it's not just about silencing the journalists; it's about what is it about that they're reporting that they're doing that other people don't want don't want to be heard and that's where you know it's incredibly sort of sinister situation and I think the social media platforms have huge responsibilities in this area which they're not necessarily stepping up um, to meet um, in that I think if you look at the the wide-scale impact on a democracy when certain people are prevented from telling the truth it's a really chilling effect. So you heard there that more than half of those responded um, had received a threat of violence. And Alison was talking about there's a call to action that she and um, the women in journalism have sort of brought about uh, to address the issues that women are facing, um, predominantly these, you know, women journalists. Um, and those things uh, that she's asking for are, are things like practical steps to support women um, across the media uh, and also for organizations to have a policy to deal with um, with with the abuse that they're that they're facing. Her top tip also, but was really good, 
um, in terms of don't give up and embrace the difficultness of stuff because um, if you keep focused, then that's when you're going to achieve things. Yeah, I'd, I'd echo. I really liked the top tip. And actually, we always talk about action, you know, inclusion being an action and it, it, it being something that people can do. Um, I, I found it astounding thinking about the number of people that are leaving the industry and, you know, people that don't want to be journalists anymore because of the, um, the, 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 the relationship with online. And I think Alison was really kind of quite open and honest with us, you know, about, about her own thoughts on that. And yeah, it was a really, it was a great way to kick off season, season three. Eek! Can't believe it. We were in season three. Next up, we were joined by Kate Nash, OBE. Um, and again, I don't have enough descriptive words. I think like I need to, I need to start like getting the thesaurus out when we do these sessions so that I've got like better um, descriptors. But I really, really enjoyed the conversation with Kate. Like she's got such a great like energy around her. And um, there's not many people that have that, but I just, I really, really love the conversation. And we were, we were talking about um, many things, uh, Kate's new book, um, but we were particularly focusing on the language of disability. Um, and I think in the spirit of thinking about language, we um, there was a section that I really wanted to pull out that we could really, that we could revisit. So um, let's play that now. Usually people, we, we like to think that people start from a good place and want and don't want to offend and, and want to, you know, to be as respectful as possible. Mm. But there is there is that caution. So, I mean, I'd say back to you, Kate, you know, what should yeah. somebody <laughs> say? Is it with is it yeah. with people with disabilities or is it disabled people? We And adding to that, when we look at employee ne- networks, which we'll come on to talk about, there's a lot of talk about ability you know they're not disabled networks they are ability networks so that's another word that we throw in yeah it's a great question you know we a purple space we use those two phrases interchangeably Mm. so what we're doing and the reason why we do that is because we want to mark with respect the preferred language that the un has encouraged us to use the people first language, people with disabilities, and recognizing that uh, significantly large numbers, particularly global companies, will use that language. But we also wanted to respect those individuals who, for individual political reasons, choose to use the language of disabled people. Mm. Um, And why that's the case is, and I'm going to use a a provocative example (laughs) here, is that, you know, there are large cohorts of disabled people who feel that there's nothing add-on about our human experience. We don't talk about, for example, women as people with female bits. (laughs) I'm being naughty here, but there's nothing add-on about disability in relation to our lives. It's, it's, It's integral to who we are as individuals. And of course, we carry many, many identities you know none of us are have have one identity whether that's about race sex sexuality religion and so on and so forth so in terms of advice i would say if if you know you're coming from a company that's still considering these things you might want to use those two phrases interchangeably if your employer preference is to use people with disabilities then there'll be a reason behind that um and yet if other people within your business or for your own reasons, you prefer to describe yourself as a disabled person, that's my own personal preference, then it's just about acknowledging that. So it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> but 
so we asked Kate the best way to talk about someone with a disability and I think it was really telling the response that we got so Kate talked about you know the the way that that she talks about um disability and and is it you know people with disabilities is it a disabled person and interestingly this particular conversation will come up in in future episodes and I think it's something that people are really grappling with around around language but Kate talked about um the fact that in in purple space you know as a mark of respect to the UN she references people with a disability um but she also then said that you know nobody has one identity and she was quite she gave quite a provocative example her words um that you know we don't we don't describe people um in certain ways and I just thought it was a it was a good one for us to go back to because we're always looking like I say for those practical tips um and making it really really simple um and equally thinking about Kate's top tip again very very um action orientated so she said make a commitment to meet more people um and ask them what you could do like basically more of and what can what can you learn from from that disabled person so you know, connect with more disabled people, um, and and really find out what more you can do. Um, and again, thought that was thought that was really um, really good because it was so action orientated. Yeah, I I really enjoyed that conversation as well. Um, it was very business focused as well, which I thought was yeah. really useful in terms of you know what can organisations do, what levers can they pull, um, and talking about some of those successes that Kate see over the over the years and, and the barriers as well to so, the levers working. So I thought we had a really interesting conversation. Also data came up, um, you know, whether it was important um, if employee, employers were placing an over-importance on data um, um, and also how to increase disclosure rates and why people maybe don't want to disclose. So yeah, I thought it was a really great conversation. And yeah. um, I'm going for a coffee with Kate soon. So I'm looking forward to that. Look at you, hobnobber. Lovely. I know. <laughs> I um. I also think oh, as part of the um, as part of the prep for that episode, we obviously read Kate's book. And again, yeah. I would really, really recommend it. So she she refers to it as kind of being semi autobiographical. I hope I've said that right. Um, and again, it's a really nice read and I think there's loads of really nice reference points. And I think the fact that it's kind of got that autobiographical feel um, makes it really enjoyable because it's got that personal element to it. And we already know that people really connect with those personal stories, right? Um, and I think you really get that through the book. So yeah, really recommend um, a little read of that as well. Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, and we do read a lot of books for this. A little poddy. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a huge pile on my side waiting to read at the moment. Um, so next up, we spoke with Willard or Dr. Willard Wigan, uh, MBE. Um, that was a, another interesting conversation. So um, Willard is um, famous for uh, microsculptures. He has a couple of Guinness World Records. Um, he it was a really good, uh, good fun episode. Actually, we learned about um, his fundraising that he's doing. That he's creating a tiny dog in the eye of a needle for uh, guide dogs for the blind. Um, and and I personally learned a lot. Actually, I had read a, a bit about him, 
Uh, but I've, I, I felt actually talking to him, it, you know, those words that I'd read actually jumped off the page because he was just so fluent and he was so, he sort of created a picture in my mind every time he spoke. And it was, you know, it was, it's like a, it's like a poet who was amazing. So he used some really sort of emotive language as well. Um, he talked about that he didn't feel accepted at school, that, you know, he crucified him at school, that the teachers allowed, were allowed to humiliate the kids and they humiliated him. So, yeah. Um, but one of the things that really struck me, um, which I've um, sort of pointed out to listen to, to now, is around his autism. So take a listen to this. Um, so for those that maybe are a little unaware, how do you, how do you describe autism? Autism is, is a, a diamond in a dustbin. I love that. That's my description of it. Diamond in a dustbin. Tell me yeah. more about that. Why, why is it a diamond in a dustbin? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because sometimes the best comes from where you least expect. You know me, because you manage mm-hmm. as a habit of underestimating. Yeah. And it's like they use the word unable, disabled. If you're a woman, you're less capable, or if you're someone of colour, you're less this or less that or unable. All type of unableness. So that humanity has a habit of underestimating. So what they normally do they normally put in a category or throw them into, into the bin. Yeah. But when you take the lid off the bin, there's diamonds in there, you see, that they didn't mm. realise because until someone discovers it, and that's autism, you see. Yeah. And they realise that how beneficial autism is with their skills that they have. Because autistic people have a, it's, it's a, an alternative way of, of uh, expressing themselves. So it's almost like it's a defence system. You, you have to find something, right? and you've, you've, when you find a skill, it's an extreme skill or it's an extreme ability. Yeah. Because it's almost like that's all you can do. So even though I know it's not, but I thought that what I did, I can't do anything else. So it became an extreme. So I thought that's particularly powerful um, because I've never heard autism described um, like that before. So he talked about it being a, a diamond in a dustbin um, that that you can put lots of or we can put people in a category. He said, or in a bin, and then when you take the lid off, there's a diamond in there. And and I just thought that was that was language that I hadn't heard before. And we. Um, when we were doing our sort of promotions on socials for this, we even weren't sure about whether to put that in the socials, were we? Um, which I thought was an interesting, you know, it just, it was such yeah. a different way of describing autism that I wasn't really sure if we should repeat it. I don't know. It just felt a strange thing. But yeah, and his top tip also was um, perseverance. So we see this a lot, you know, in terms of top tips, you know, just just keep carrying on, you know, and persevere. And I thought, yeah, he was he was a really great guest. Yeah, I echo that. It was such an animated conversation. He just, like you say, he just brought everything to life. 
and like I just I was I was just speechless like listen to him I almost forgot that we were there to ask him questions because I just wanted to keep hearing him keep hearing him speak um and yeah it was also so moving you know when you when you thought about the little the little boy that was clearly um you know just I mean I don't know whether yeah I don't there's no other word other than like bullied at school and like just the way he was treated and then look at what he's achieved it's incredible and actually though he's still got this like aspire and determination to to keep making um art even smaller and um he's just like you know there's just this kind of I don't know just this drive and determination which has obviously got him to where he is which is incredible um yeah I loved it another great conversation great yeah a great conversation and one but we didn't know where that was going to go did we when we first started it we weren't sure what he wanted to talk about specifically um and he really sort of did sort of open up around that that autism and being neurodiverse um, and he did touch on racism a little bit um when he talked about you know he tried to wire wall his face when he was younger to remove the color from his skin but you know obviously he was bleed or all his cheek was bleeding from the inside as well he'd done it you know so much so it was it was you know quite a, a sort of a painful episode to listen to but one that was really worthwhile so um next up we had ian wilkie um ian being the founder and chair of 50 million voices and um a person who stutters um and this conversation before we even had this episode recording like i was really really looking forward to it i um i follow ian's content on online and have like worked with him previously and i was really really excited to to see where the conversation would go and it really really didn't disappoint in the episode titled the gift of stuttering um the whole conversation just Oh, it just makes you think about the words that we use, like, and how powerful they are. Like, the way the way we use words, how you say it, like, everything about it is just so powerful. And um, I'm gonna get straight into it and just share the clip um that that I that really resonated with me. So I think those are sort of two gifts from the stammerer's perspective. Really, I think, however. Stammering is a social activity. There's a speaker and there's a listener. And it's a really interesting condition because there are not many conditions that actually directly affect other people. So if I'm dyslexic and I was sitting here talking about dyslexia, it wouldn't affect you. If I was a different race, different skin colour, different gender, it wouldn't actually affect you. But when I stammer, it affects your listening. And so the real, you know, so what we learned in 50 Million Voices through the interview practices that we offer for people who who stammer um, is that the interviewers who'd all come into those programmes, you know, wanting to be helpful, to help people perhaps less fortunate than them to develop their interview skills and confidence. And we thought they'd say, thank you, had a great time, it was really nice to feel we're able to give something back. they they said all that, but actually, more importantly, they said, wow, I noticed the strength of the stammering words, how carefully they were chosen. Or I noticed I was becoming more patient. I was slowing down. I wasn't thinking of my next question or what I was going to say. 
I realized that I was paying more attention. I felt more present. I felt a connection. And so what, what we're realizing is that stammering, should the listener almost accept that invitation of the stammer as it happens, that invitation to listen and hear us out, actually through that, it's really good practice for better listening. So you can hear from um, that section, Ian talking about, like I, like I kind of started with, the power of the stammering word. And the piece that really resonated was that bit around not many conditions directly affect others. And I hadn't really thought about that until we had this conversation. And actually, it is, you know, it is the only, it's the only thing really where you as the person who stammers and the person listening are both almost like 50-50 in, 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 in it. I, I can't, I haven't got better words to describe it, but um, having listened to Ian and, you know, he was really, really open and honest and, you know, he didn't really want us to, he didn't want us to edit the episode and it was just beautiful, like, listening back to hear, like, to hear his stammers. I think he was really talking about the fact that it was, that he, that it's, it's, it's it's a two-way thing isn't it it's not just about the person who stammers it's about about the listener as well and that really came out in our socials when we started talking about this episode and people were recognizing that well a how brilliant ian is um but also that it's not all about the person who stammers it's about making sure that the person listening to the person who is talking is not only active listening but is going that that bit further um so it's not only a gift to the person who stammers but it's a gift to the listener as well that was so eloquently put dr julie that's exactly what i wanted to say but without uh actually saying it um and i i think you know it was heartwarming it was a heartwarming episode and you know hearing ian refer to you know he's had a huge career at ey he was, you know, in a big, big role and has achieved some incredible things. But he talked about 50 million voices and, and the work that he does now is like, this is my big career. And, you know, just to see some of the outpouring of support that we saw on social media, it was just incredible. So it was a great episode. And Ian's top tip was around us all being aware of our fluency privilege. Um, and, you know, whether it be in social situations or with family or with work, um, you know that others don't always find it easy to speak up and they don't necessarily have like have the ability to and so you know bring people into the conversation and and directly draw them in use their name without putting people on the spot um but but really doing that so I thought that was a really great a really really great top tip as well next we spoke with Pepe Sapal who um is not only the founder and director of Fair Play Talks but is also a director at My G Work. She came to us to talk about the report that they just released around Generation Z and the intersect there was between the LGBTQ plus community. Um, they had over 700 participants to this uh, piece of research and one of their findings that Hebe talked about was the fact that she was, uh, that 66% of those respondents were prepared to leave their organization if they couldn't be out at work. Um, I thought it was an interesting discussion. Um, 
new research always fascinates us, doesn't it? So we like to, to yeah. talk about that research as much as possible, as quickly as possible. Um, and I think, um, so let's listen to a little bit first and let's then talk about it. What does, what does truly committed to inclusion mean? Okay, so yes, that was a really interesting finding because um, if you look at other surveys, um, they will say that a lot of people, um, especially when they start a new job and they identify as LGBTQ+, they often have to go back into the closet because, you know, they don't know how they will be perceived by their colleagues. So um, that finding, so that's almost nine out of ten um, mm. um, graduates um like would prefer to be out at work um so and they've said that they wanted to be um their true their employer to be truly committed so i know I mean, what does truly committed yeah, look like yeah so that that there's a variety of things that companies can be doing to show that they're truly committed um you know the first and the most obvious thing I would say is that they would need, um, you know, to have a zero tolerance uh, discrimination policy. So, you know, reassuring, um, especially new hires, that they don't um, have to return to the closet by, by having this zero tolerance policy mm. towards LGBTQ plus um, discrimination or, and any other forms of harassment. Um, within the workplace. Within the workplace. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the, I think this should be highlighted maybe in the recruitment process, the onboarding process, the employee handbook, you know, in the contract. So um, it's interesting that you say highlighted in the recruitment process because I don't think that happens very much. Mm, That's no. something that, you know, we, we do talk about that as part of handbook or as part of a code of conduct and that but you don't generally when you go out recruiting you just see a paragraph saying how fluffy and woolly the, the company is and how they committed to mm. D&I but very rarely do you have those hard words of we have zero tolerance. Yes I think that it should be included along with serious consequences for non-compliance you mm. know so mm. um, I think it sends a really strong message um, to new recruits. Um, in terms of what behaviour is expected and, you know, um, the fact that, you know, the company will not tolerate any form of discrimination um, regardless of, you know, whether you belong to the LGBTQ plus community or another uh, Mm. minority community. So that's just a snippet of what a wide-ranging conversation and we we heard various um, sort of outcomes of the research one thing that you picked up, though, Tash, was around the asexual word um, that you found that. And, and it was that, you know, we saw a, a huge number of people identifying as asexual, uh, which which surprised us, didn't it, as when we were sort of reading through it. Um, so that was a, a bit of a, a pick, pick out for me. Also, um, another part of research said that... Um, that gen generations they just aren't going to be fooled anymore because they this all this diverse inclusive marketing material that um, companies put out actually no one's being fooled or definitely the younger generation aren't being fooled it doesn't mean that that organisation is a is an inclusive and a diverse organisation just because they've got some photos that seem mm. to represent under, underrepresented communities so that that was interesting that, that we've finally got some research that says to organisation stop just putting new photos on. It's not going to fix your problems. <laughs> yeah, I I think you're right, and it it I think for me it really um it really like hammered home the the work that we do 
and actually, you know, we're going into, or we're not going into, we're in this, you know, multi-generational workforce now. And what, what every kind of generation is going to expect is going to be very, very different. And, you know, what the things that we've done previously to engage people and, and, and be focused around diversity, equity and inclusion is going to have to really evolve, isn't it? And, um, you know, I think we've talked a lot about real, real models and role models and what that looks like. And I think that came out in the research as well as, you know, I think visible role models is one of the like top ways that um, an LGBTQ plus Gen Z um, identifies a friendly organization. So yeah, um, lots, lots of great, great discussion with, um, with Pepe. It was good to have her. Yeah, she um she she came out with a few um practical things that organizations can do, as you say. So also she talked about having a zero tolerance um to policy to discrimination and harassment, which sounds obvious, but actually not many organizations have that. Uh even if you say it, I'm uh, you know, I'm not sure whether they do it. But yeah. So that was a really interesting thing. And and she was talking about making sure that your 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 benefits schemes and programs are equitable as well for all groups so yeah interesting conversation with about that new new piece of research awesome so last but not least are we we're almost there right um yeah. i can't believe end of season three we wrap we wrapped up before the wrap up with um Stephen dowd um and the title of the episode was changing your reality um, and so this episode really, um, so Stephen is um, a board advisor, charity ambassador, and uh, the first quadriplegic to virtually summit Mount Everest, which is um, no mean feat, but whilst doing that at home. Um, but again, it was a discussion that uh, we, we, we always go into these conversations, like, where is this going to go? Like, and you're excited because you have got it. We do, I promise you, anyone that's listening, we do normally have a plan of what we're going to talk about. But you all often wonder, like, where we're going to get to through the discussion. And for me, I want to draw out the piece about, again, labels and, and word choice. So let's just have a listen. So you're, and you're still in your recovery, you say? Yeah, it's funny. I, 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 at the top of this conversation, again, we refer to me as a disabled keynote speaker, again, yeah. partly for marketing purposes. Um, but, I always think of myself as like a recovering injured person. And I still think of myself as I had an injury in 2016 and I'm still recovering from that injury. And I wonder if that will ever feel different. I don't think I'll ever necessarily go, I'm not recovering from that because I, well, technically I am always recovering from it. And who knows what the developments in science might be or the development in understanding around uh, rehabilitation and things like that. So I'm always kind of trying to push the boundaries and try and find a new step forward, a new way forwards. Um, but that said, that is almost the flip side of acceptance for me. Mm. So that's that's a dangerous knife edge for me because am I really accepting that I'm disabled or are we just saying, well, disability is a, a moniker that I don't necessarily want unless it's helpful. Mm. So it's uh, it kind of cuts both ways. So is your recovery, so, so you, would you say you'll be, you still have re- re- rehabilitation then or, or are you at the peak of your, re- re- you've been, re- I can't say that, rehabilitated. <laughs> <laughs> um it comes and goes like anyone's fitness uh, so forget my spinal cord injury for a second if i don't work out i get less fit if i do work out i get more fit and that's true and i have a spinal cord injury as well so there are certain things like my hands that are still paralyzed and and i still can't really work they're one of my biggest frustrations actually i'm forever dropping stuff 
uh, just yesterday on my way to meet a client, I took a trip in the in the road because my foot drag on my left hand side just caught pavement in a weird way and ended up headbutting a pavement. Hence the bruise that you can see. Um, we can not verify yeah. there's a bruise. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so those kind of things are, uh, the, the, they're still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they always going to be there? Probably. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, there's always an incremental improvement I can be making. Uh, and the, as soon as I stop trying to make those incremental improvements, so until then, I'll continue. So I thought it was really, really interesting. And, and don't get me wrong, this conversation was obviously a usual, usual length, but this bit really stood out to me because Stephen refers to himself as a recovering injured person. And I just, again, just thought that that was just such interesting word choice. Um, and actually, if he was to, because you probed him a couple of times, Julie, and said, you know, about the label of, you know, disability, is this the kind of, you know, have you peaked in terms of recovery? And, you know, he was like, I'm always pushing boundaries. He talked about positivity. And he used a really great example of like, if I don't work out, um, you know, my my physical health would deteriorate. Well, it's the same with my um, my recovery. You know, I have got a spinal cord injury, um, but I'm a recovering injured person. And I just thought it was just such an interesting way of looking at it. Um, that really goes back to that kind of mindset piece that we saw in our kind of first season with Jacko, um, that kind of mental health versus physical health. And I don't know, like just that acceptance of, of labels and word choice. I don't know. It really got me thinking. Um, and he, he kind of reiterate, reiterated that whilst he, you know, will see incremental improvements, um, you know, he was almost kind of not kind of being accepting of that disabled label. I know we've talked about that a lot on this this season, but again, just an interesting thing that I picked up on and started thinking about. Um, and Stephen's top tip, which was um, the first one that we've had been like super engaging with our DNI spires, um, which was around you know creating those goals that link back to the to the blue breeze. Um, so for those that you haven't listened, you need to go back and listen to the blueberry um, the blueberry example that Stephen shared with us, but. Um, he talked about, you know, setting bold goals, but also then having an accountability partner. And I just thought that was really good because I'm one of those people and Dr. Julie will probably roll, roll her eyes at me in a second. I'm one of those people that at the start of the year, I do create my goals and I've got my, my, actually, this is what I'd really like to achieve this year. Um, but I don't really share them with anyone. And I thought, oh, I wonder actually if you did share them with people, actually how that would affect me and whether it would, would be more helpful and whether I'd be more progressive. Um, so yeah. Anyway, um, I thought the challenge at the great at the end was really good. I love the fact that it was engaged around DNI spires. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I love, I love the blueberry example. I think if you, I would definitely um, recommend anyone if they haven't heard of that, just to go back and listen to that. Um, just like to pick you up on a point. I also oh. create goals on a annual basis, um, and I have in that in being shared them occasionally. Um, just to try and make me keep myself honest and can and achieve it, but I didn't achieve being a figure skater. But <laughs> I tried. I, so I feel like we need like a whole other episode about figure skating and why. But I am I'm very surprised actually about the goal setting. You know, I, I think you have told me. I think you have told me about it previously. But you, you know, most of the stuff that I do, you do normally roll your eyes at me and go, <laughs> "Here she goes." 
No, no, I think goal setting is really important. I would never have completed my doctorate had it not been for my annual goal setting because it just made me do that little bit extra that year and try and break it down into chunks. So most definitely. But back to Stephen. Um, yeah, he he was an interesting conversation because, as you say, we don't really know where these conversations are going to go usually. Um, we have a preconceived idea and we have a plan. We always have a plan in front of us, but we very rarely stick to it. And that and that happened again. I had lots of um, lots of points to discuss, which we just didn't get there at all. It was a really fascinating conversation, and I did love the fact that the top tip was so interactive. And again, we had some great interaction on socials with with Steve, people either Stephen didn't know or he'd been they'd been touched as part of the podcast I'll be interested to see how many people have um connected with him and shared their goals we'll have Absolutely. to we'll have to do like a check-in at the end of season uh yeah forward, <laughs> if we make it yeah we can make it <laughs> we will see right so talking of season four any any special watch out? Anything you're particularly looking forward to? Oh, I don't want to give too many spoilers. I know, I know. We've got some really good people on there, haven't we? Coming up. Is there is there anyone that we can is there anyone that you think that we could like tease ahead of time? Um well we did speak with Helen Beedham, um, with about her yeah. book called The Future of Time. Um, because in her words, the way we think about time is broken. Which I think is really interesting, mm. and it's damaging our well-being. And I and I really relate to that. Um, yeah. In the old days, before we carried our phones around with us all the time, I would the only time I would not wear a watch was on holiday, and I'd take it off, and I would just love oh. like two weeks or a week of like not having a clue what time it was. Um, but you know, I think that just shows that my relationship with time is very broken. Not always, I need to know what time it is and what I'm doing, what I should be doing at that time, and plan things out to the nth degree. Yeah, and I, I would I would agree with that actually. And I think I've tried to I've actually tried to be uh, more like um what's the word? More sensible with my time since that episode and I actually took the activity from Helen's book into the day job and actually as a team we um we did some work on it and we talked about our use of time and how we feel about time and and that came on the back of a, a team meeting we had um, at the end of last year where everyone just felt really time poor. And actually, when you just kind of take that moment and step back, you go, actually, like, we just need to maybe like think about this or look at it in a different way. Um, so, yeah, I loved I loved that. And I'm particularly personally very excited about um, our episode with Rachel Charlton Daly. Um, which has uh, gone in the gone in the um, in the file, ready for for producer Dan to do his magic with. Um, yeah, I think that prove that will prove to be a really a really exciting one as well. I'm not going to give too much about um, way about that one, but I'm looking forward to that coming out. Yeah, absolutely. Disability in the media, the big big topic that that we um, rest there. Yeah, with Rachel. As we come to the end of this season, um, just a massive massive thanks to you for listening, but also to our wonderful producer Dan. For making us sound marginally professional um and marginally happy even when we're being really grumpy we it's never we always you i'm joking i'm joking you can find us on twitter our handles are in the show notes below and if you've liked what you've heard please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to get new episodes automatically thanks for listening